I got to talk to you about the national championship game. You came out, you came out spicy, and I love it. All right, coming at me and Tony Gill, uh, we always go back and forth for the national game. I'm happy because you you brought it back in, and we. No, I think I made. A, I, I said Alabama was different. I put that posted that that Alabama was different, and that's when you came and you said that the mobile quarterback was going to get. And I'll say this, and I was going to sit there, but I was like, I'm gonna wait. Um, Jalen Hurts, because I, I think the last time. We all know that at Alabama, Jalen Hurts wasn't necessarily a proficient quarterback quarterback. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But when you look at the fact that Nick Saban used to try to win with defense and a great running back and how he used to complain about the spread offenses and the hasten pace, that when he finally got on board with that and looking at how how good this offense was this year, I wasn't worried about Ohio State just because this was uh, this was this is the best Alabama offense, I would say, that they ever had. You know what I'm saying in the Nick Saban era because Tua, I got love for Tua, but I'm I've never been the biggest Tua guy. One because of injuries and to a certain degree against the best teams, he really didn't show off because that was just happened. That wasn't that was half the Georgia game. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I've never been like I I root for Tua, but I've never been like man when Tua get to the pros, he's gonna be that guy. But Sean, I thought Alabama was gonna win because this offense w- was just humming too well for Ohio State to be able to keep up. You know what? Shout out to Nick Saban for making that transformation and realizing mm-hmm. where the game was going, you know. And that's, you know, Nick Saban, I give him credit. He's the greatest college coach I've ever, ever seen, yeah. ever. Not because, you know, he's such a great defensive coordinator or a great defensive mind. He understands how to surround himself with people that are smarter than him. Facts. And he is comfortable enough to know that he is the guy. You know, to use Reggie Jackson's words, he is the straw that stirs the drink. Mm-hmm. Like, he's comfortable enough. And he puts guys like Sark. And he's not afraid to go get guys that have had issues. Right. Allow them an opportunity to reclaim their lives and their reputation at the mm-hmm. University of Alabama. We saw it with um, Kiffin. Kiffin who's now mm-hmm. in Mississippi and Sark, you know, he, now he takes the job at Texas. I'm a man. I'm really going to pray for him. Listen, that is you. You're dooming yourself. They want, that's, to, they, that listen, job is not as easy as people think. Come on, man. You know, come on. Listen, it's know, like Michigan with worse standards and a bigger fan base. It's like, it's never going to happen. Just yes. Give up. Yes. So, you know, not, not on the field, so much, but I'm gonna pray for him off the field because I know the issues oh, and the demons he's had to yeah. deal with. That's facts. That's facts. And down in Texas, it's a lot of temptation. It's a mm. lot of temptation if everything's not going right. So I'm definitely gonna pray for him, man. But like I said, Sark, what Sark did last night, and what he was able to do, and creating the offense to get Najee Harris, Mechie, and Devontae Smith in space, right. And and made it simple for Mac Jones. Just man, it was almost like a point guard. Just get your guys the ball on the move in space and just watch them work. That was the offense. That was simply the offense, bro. Whether it was using motion, mm-hmm. whether it was using formation to dictate, whether it was RPOs to open up the quick slant. Like there was nothing. They ran quick slants, fly routes. Right, wing passes, bro. That was nothing fancy about the offense. <laughs> right, you're sitting there saying, "Why can't they stop this? This is simple." But 
it's because the collection of talent. It right. probably is the greatest collection of offensive talent I've seen on the field for Alabama. Yes. Doubt. Yes. Without I mean, I, I have to say that for Alabama, when you look at that receiving room, which is receiver you, when you look at, dude, who knew Mac Jones was going to be like Wait this? a minute. Is it receiver you? I don't know. LSU might have a. Have they a may have something to say. I'll I give you a little bit, but you listen. <laughs> no, come on now. You know, who who would you take, OBJ or Julio, if you had your druthers? All right. You're going to go with the Julio. You know you go go. Well, which one, Sean? Which one would you take? No, I'm I taking. I'm taking that. I, no, you'll get Julio out of my mouth real fast. Okay, okay. No, yeah, I agree. And then the Najee Harris, what you said that you would like the Bears to draft and how just dominant he is, like that that offensive line. This was the best Alabama Alabama offense, um, and it was great to see them. Devontae Smith. I say this too. All right, I got sick of Kirk, Kirk Herbstreit with the do it right mess yesterday. <laughs> Receivers don't say anything and, you know, keep like, listen, if that's the way that you want to do it, fine. You know what I'm saying? But you shouldn't castigate someone for doing it the, the way they're doing it and also diss the players who, who opted out. You, you shouldn't diss the players. That's wrong of you to diss the players that opted out. All right, Man, and then on top of that, he must not really watch Alabama football because mm -hmm. Devontae talks that talk. That's what I was thinking too. Like he might not be as demonstrative, exactly. Everybody else, but Devontae talks that talk. Yes, he does. Yes, yeah, he does. You go to that LS, LSU game. He was letting Stingley know. Hey, all right, you out here with a man, man. That's all right, right. I do right. this, right? I do this. It's, it's, like you said, it's not demonstrative, but you can see the chatter, and you know that he is sitting there telling uh, telling the cat, "Dude, you cannot keep up with me." But listen, one thing I, I did want to ask you because I know you had, and I don't know if you still had it. You had the Under the Dome podcast. Because, of course, you're executive producer for the uh, Under the Hood with Jay Hood. Shout out to our guy, Jay Hood. Definitely yeah. a big brother. So looking at ND, I want to get some ND in before we, we leave college and do a little bit of Sox talk before you get out of here. Uh, looking at ND and, and the fact that to me, you know, Kelly do his thing over there. It's kind of like we, we were talking about Texas and Michigan. Yeah. Notre Dame is actually like they're being Notre Dame and doing Notre Dame well to me. As someone who used to love Notre Dame back in the day, so they played Tyrone Willingham. Uh, and let Charlie Weiss uh, stay there longer while he did worse than Willingham with Willingham's players. Right. All right. When you look at Quinn and you know, say like, so I I bailed at that point because I used to, I grew up I grew up unfortunately loving Lou Holtz. All right. I, unfortunately, I grew up <laughs> loving Lou Holtz. But, but what are your thoughts? Because to me, when when people were getting on them about winning in the big game, it's like, dude, you they can't beat Alabama. Y'all going too far with it right there. Being able to dominate the ACC, right? They're being a dominant ACC team, taking out Clemson this year. And listen, I don't care if Trevor Lawrence wasn't there. Clemson's talent is supposed to be so great. The quarterback being gone, they're still supposed to beat Notre Dame. Right. Right? So that, was, right. that was a victory, victory to me. But what are your thoughts as far as the expectations for Notre Dame? Are they reaching those or, or is it unrealistic? Well, with Clark Lee taking the position of head coach and uh, leaving the defensive coordinator spot over at Notre Dame, uh, they hit a home run and getting Marcus Freeman from Cincinnati. Mm. Absolutely home run. Um, the deal for – he was originally going to LSU, according to reports. The deal was done. Mm. Brian Kelly upped his offer, called him, said whatever he needed to say, and the next day he was in South Bend, you mm. know, signing on the dotted line. So that right there is a home run uh, because – we were taking on water. 
Notre Dame was taking on water after that loss to, to Alabama. And what I mean by that is they had gotten in three days, they had gotten up to seven to eight transfers. Mm. And these weren't guys that were just like, you know, kids that just weren't happy with the fact they weren't getting playing time. These were kids that were going to be starting and in the uh, top two on the depth chart. So, I mean, you're losing guys that are supposed to be starting for you on both sides of the ball. Mm. You can't do that. And we're going into a season where we really don't have a quarter, uh, quarterback. We uh, Jack Cone, the former quarterback of Wisconsin, he transferred in. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he lost his job to Hornsworth <laughs> and Mertz, you know, right. up in Wisconsin. So what are you really getting? And then we have Tyler Buckner coming in, who is a four-star freshman, and we're looking at him to be that next guy. But, once again, he's one of those smaller six-feet, 203-pound quarterbacks that's similar to Ian Book. Mm-hmm. The problem, and this is what I ask people, if you put Trevor Lawrence on Notre Dame, that Alabama game becomes a little bit more interesting. Mm-hmm. It becomes a little bit more interesting. I'm not saying they beat Alabama. No, no, but I get what you're saying. But you're talking about an elite quarterback in talent. With Book, Book, you know, he's he's good for a college quarterback. Yes. You know, like he's the epitome of a really good college quarterback. But you know, on a, on Sunday, that cat wouldn't be out there on the field starting. Yeah, because when you start getting to saying you want to get to that next level, that's that's grown man. That's like semi-pro NFL. That's really what it is. When you watch Alabama, when you watch Ohio State, when you watch Clemson, like 15 of the top 100 players right. in mock drafts played in that game last night. That's that's crazy. Right. And that's not talking about the underclass kids that are no. still in the back. Yeah. Right. And most of them are projected to go in the first two rounds. So mm-hmm. that's what you have to get to. That's the level your program has to get to. And, you know, it's almost impossible because Notre Dame, just because of academic reasons, they just can't go after certain five and four stars. They just can't. Right. right. That is going right. to Clemson and Alabama, those being public institutions, Notre Dame being a private institution that really hangs its hat on this academic prowess. Mm-hmm. So with all of that being said, you're right. Brian Kelly has done a fantastic job. I was worried about him. He had lost his way, I would say, about three, four years ago. But he took a step back. He changed the direction of the program. He changed his approach. And now you can mark Notre Dame to be a top 10 team each and every year. And they're going to win 10 games. Now they're right on the neck of Clemson in the ACC. On Dabo's ass, as deservedly so. Trevor Lawrence is gone, but I mean DJ Uwegalele is that's a big boy. That's a big boy that's a right big there. Boy. Man. That, that game proved, watching him. He proved Oof. when he went on the road at Notre Dame and put up 400 yards. Hey, I'm coming. 